We are the TX Water Polo Podcast. I'm James Smith in Austin, and Linehan is in San Antonio. You're in San Antonio, right? I'm in San Antonio, correct. We've been talking for 40 minutes, and I never even asked you where you were, because who the hell knows all the time, you know? You're, you're traveling all over the place. I'm in San Antonio. I will be in North Texas next week, though. What for? There you go. Um, we have one of my developmental clubs called Mavericks Water Polo is starting their fall program. Right. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Just like just like school starting right now, kind of kind of for everybody. So everybody's going Ooh, all over the place. Good segue, excellent. Yeah, that's sort of the you know it's a mixed bag, right? Because you know so much stuff is getting postponed, canceled, and so on for very obvious reasons. But at the very same time, like everybody's going back to school, and one of the things that's so obviously interesting, and I even talked about this on the uh, uh, conference call the other day, was. You know just how different it is at different schools, at different districts, and so on. Um, and I know, for example, my daughter is starting tomorrow, but she and then she's starting online only until September, and then she'll start showing up to school in what they're calling pods. I, I'm sure that that's going on at other places as well, but this is all new to me. So yeah, every school district's different. Every school district's different. My wife is just back to school right now. The, the kids go back to school week from today and that'll be august 25th that they go back to school wow. and a, a couple of them have chosen to do it online at home but everybody comes every day to school um but um so there's not everybody's at home for three or four weeks or or, or what have you and there's even i even know of like kind of a friend of a friend that is moving into her school district that is literally moving into her school district because they're going back to school okay which is interesting to me. That's like, cause this is a, this is a person that's going and moving their whole family from Houston over to a Kamala kind ISD, which is just North of San Antonio and just, and just South of Austin, just because he wants his kids to be able to go to school, which is, wow. that's, that's a big life change right there. So <laughs> yeah, they really, yeah. Must not, they really must not like hanging out with their kids, but that's, okay. <laughs> <No>. but, like, <laughs> um, but it's easy, it's, yeah, you only have one kid. I have no kids, so it's easy for us to say that. So well, I love my kid very, very much, uh, but I want her butt back in school. Don't get me wrong. It's it's almost more. It's one of those things where, um, I mean, I'm at home for most of the day until I go coach. Um, it's good for her to be gone with her friends, you know, not hanging out at, uh, up in a room all day. Um, so, but everything's just so so completely different. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and part of that is everybody now goes from whatever pool time they were able to get this summer to now the fall schedule. Oh, you're speaking my language. So like, like so like, this is because like, for example, um, I, I was able to get this uh, a camp going up in North Texas for our developmental clubs. It was from 2 to 4 p.m. in the in the afternoon for the last couple of weeks of the summer. And we obviously can't do that while school's in session, whether or not the kids are at school or whether they're at home they can't right. do that time so um now everybody's kind of put back together so you're not gonna have the swim team that is in the pool from 6 a.m to 4 p.m and has one kid per laner or whatever you know? right so, right right so i mean so everybody's like you know I, I i guess everybody's gonna have to be put a little bit closer together and like you know you're not gonna have the like the 30 minutes between groups and stuff like this so the the social distancing that happen at these facilities they they have they've had to relook at things a little bit so. for sure my uh, our schedules you know typically our schedule schedule changes very slightly from the summer it's just that when the summer is here we get less access to the deep 
deepest parts of the pool. Um, and then that can be kind of challenging. Now we get more access to them, but, uh, but less than expected because the swim teams go until eight o'clock because they're, they're separating boys versus girls, age groups. They're going to other pools and they're taking up all the time from after school up until 8 PM, which is not usually the case. We usually have the pool for, to ourselves from seven to nine. Um, and obviously now we're working the weekends again, which is nice because all the rec swimming is, is, uh, is over for the summer. So, so now are you, do you have to practice like eight to nine at night or something now? No, we go seven to nine. It's just that the, there's a section of, as you know, of the pool, that's 20 yards wide by a few lanes and it's all shallow sure. and we'll start in there. We'll do our swim set. We'll do our body movements. We'll probably put the cages in and, sh- and pass and shoot if we've got time. And then we got to transfer over to the big pool, take out the lane lines after the swim team's done. So it's it's a uh, suboptimal, but that's uh, you know what do you got to do? That and that's always the one thing that bothers me. Sometimes I understand pools have lane have the lines on on the bottom of the pools. It's always interesting when the water pole team has to take out the water pole or the like the swim lines, and also put back in the lane lines. I just don't understand. I just think that's crap. But that's okay. Yeah, that's a. Are t- luckily, so there's so many more swimmers and water polo players for Aquatex that they tend to take out the lane lines at the end of practice anyway. And so oh, that's good. actually very kind yeah. of them. Yeah. And then in exchange, when it starts getting cold, which is not even imaginable at this point, then we start putting on the pool covers because we're the last ones there. Yeah, good. good fun. We're good. Yes, good. it's going to be interesting. And then, but uh, yeah, so you're like the, you're like the opposite of everybody else where everybody else gets a ton more pool time and stuff like that during a normal summer. Yeah you tend to get less pool time kind of during summer and more and more pool time during the school year, which is different. Yeah. Cause the pool where we are is, is basically the city's summer recreation pool. It's got a big, you know, slide. Although I had the last person, I, the next person I see use that slide will be the first person. And I've been there since 2013. I, this is my complaint. I should probably keep my mouth shut cause then round rock will kick, kick me out. But I don't understand. They don't let people use the stuff that they installed, at least some of it. There, yeah. you, know, you know how there's a long cable that it's like you're supposed to hang on it and have fun and walk across the pool on these lily pad kind of things. Sure. I had one kid hanging on there, and some city official came in and was like, "You can't do that." I was like, "What are you talking about?" Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Anyway, yeah, that's just a, that's editorializing, Joe. I know you get uncomfortable with me critiquing these people. It's all good. It's all good. Was it? Um, yeah. I mean, and with that comes, you know, with the fall season comes, you know, kind of the fall events. And as everybody knows right now, and I think we touched upon this last week, um, you know, we've had to kind of cancel some things. The Armadillo Classic has been canceled. The um, the like the Shark Fest has been canceled. Those were at the end of September and the beginning of uh, in all of October, kind of respectfully. Right. And because they were also going to be hosting our NGO Qualls. The NGO calls have not been canceled, but they've been postponed. And we're right. just waiting to hear about the whole kind of that light, like the NGO is kind of happening and what type of form and stuff like that kind of moving forward. So, so are, are you know, you're, you have a pipeline into the USA water polo. Are, are you, we waiting for them to come out with some sort of announcement before you, we try to put jail qualifiers on the calendar or are we looking for a venue or all the above or what can you tell uh, us? We'll be looking for a venue. We are, yeah, kind of, we'll probably do something because the number of teams that are probably going to be actively looking to possibly go to JOs is less the other year. We could, we can probably do a JO calls all kind of 
18, 16, 14, 12s, all like kind of all together. Mm. Um, so we're probably going to wait to see because I know ODP qual like the ODP camp in Houston is to be, is to be determined once that's set. Yeah. Then we will probably try to just kind of tentatively do AJO quals in October, and we just don't want to conflict with the ODP camp. So once yeah, kind of once that gets set, we will move on to that. And I mean, we don't know what it's going to be. I mean, it's we we don't know if JO quals is going to go back to what it used to be with with only a couple teams, right? And um, and then you know we may not even have to play the 12s or the 14s because they only have one or two teams that want to go. But I want to ask you about a hypothetical, and it's not a pleasant one. It's if if JOs does not take place, what do you foresee happening with JO qualifiers in in the Southwest Zone, if anything? Well, if JOs doesn't take place, we would not have JO qualifiers, obviously. But we might have something along the lines of a Southwest Zone kind of kind of championship type tournament. Right. That's what I would kind of envision. But yeah. of course we have to find a club and a facility that are willing to host. And right now that's not necessarily easy to find. Do you have any sense for whether other zones are talking in the same terms? I mean, I, I'm asking because, you know, Southwest zone, which is essentially Texas for, you know, until Oklahoma and Arkansas and so on join, join in some more. Um, are, is pretty unique about that kind of thing. It's like, I, it feels like this would be the only zone that would do something like that is have its own version of JOs. I mean, I mean, I think we would have our own version just and just kind of see whoever wants to play. And this, yeah. the number of teams that want to play is going to be less than, than, than what it was in 2019. It's going to be less than what it's going to be in 2021 as well. But I do think there's other zones that are slowly playing a little bit more and more. I know the Midwest is playing a little bit more here and there. Um, I do know, um, like, you know, there's teams that are looking to play more, just they don't have anybody else to play up in, uh, like, uh, up in the Northeast. And I believe the, um, the mountain zone where everybody went for, for that, for the Utah trip, they're going to have, uh, their local league that they normally have every fall. They're going to have that this upcoming fall, which is exciting because that's going to be probably one of the first water pole events that's going to be happening anywhere. Well, and you would know about this as well. So I have the guidelines for that uh, Utah Fall Youth Water Polo League, and I published a piece in Total Water Polo yesterday by Jeremy Mouse, who's a native Texan who lives in Utah and whose kids play water polo in that area. And so um, it's a long list of guidelines, um, and I only mention that because – it's possible that something like this, which you can find again on Total Water Polo, is is going to serve as sort of a boilerplate for whatever is done elsewhere, including Texas. I mean, again, I can share this with you, but uh, it's it's you know it, nothing will be a surprise, but it does detail lots of stuff like um, you know teams won't switch ends, you know that kind of thing. It's just the, yeah. this is this is the new stuff that we have to take into account. Yeah, and 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 I completely agree. I mean, it's it's going to be a little. It's going to be a little different. The main difference that they have is they're going to be competing at a city pool. Right. Which is much, which is much different because although you with Aquatex do play at or practice at a city pool, um, most of the schools here practice in school districts. Right. Yeah. And, and kind of most of the tournaments now, the, I mean, I, I think it's gonna be very similar here in Texas. I mean, a city pool, it, that might have to be the first pool that hosts a tournament. Because school districts do put extra issue, like 
like kind of like you know uh kind of restrictions and guidelines above and beyond what just the state has and right, right. now the state, like, like like the state of texas they don't necessarily have a whole lot of restrictions they have a whole lot of recommendations exactly guidance yep and uh was it but you know the counties have a little bit more kind of restrictions and then the school districts have and then a city can choose to open up their facilities or they can choose to close them down because and because both have happened but uh yeah i mean i'm like i'm excited about having that or kind of or kind of seeing how that league kind of happens out in utah because because hopefully we can then take that and use that as a kind of a template here you know? totally do not uh, no team water bottles no sharing bottles athletes arrive in their swimsuit and depart without changing um income incoming and outgoing patterns are different for teams and spectators no discouraging post-game meetings uh, that kind of stuff it's it's all it's all very reasonable it's stuff that you would expect but it's interesting to see it actually written out you know which is not something that you necessarily see very often so anyways and then and then connecticut you mentioned the northeast um I, i've only heard sort of sporadic things that the that they are in full contact up in Connecticut for practice, but I don't think there's any com- competition going on. What what have you heard? I don't think there's. I, I think there are some pools that are again they they might be using a facility that's a little bit more lax in their guidelines and their in their restrictions. So they are so so the club has then choose has chosen to uh, scrimmage more, but I don't think there's teams that are playing each other at all. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Okay, um, and then. Uh, just a little side note there we i had a very good conversation in my car with adam wright you can hear that podcast uh, it's on on the site at txwaterpolo.com and at the end we joked a little bit about because uh, he's he he was talking to us over lunch was like man wouldn't it be great if ut had a had a team and you know me i think and actually i can't remember if you agree with me or not i think the chances are zero like if there were actually if it could possibly be less than zero then i think it would be but uh but he was joking about and i was joking with him about if that job came up would you apply and he sort of said the usual things that you have to say when you're already at a major institution but having said all that ut just opened a new pool an outdoor one if if you're anybody's familiar with that facility if you go out the back door, which you can't, unless you're sort of part of staff, that whole area back there has been converted into an, an outdoor pool, weird shaped one, but uh, one that we thought might be used for water polo, but that seems to be uh, a little bit up in the air. Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of space anyway, no. so that's why it's a weird shape, but at least it's a shape. They've been talking about that for, for 25 years. No, I, I just think there's, I mean... There's always a need for more water, and I think there's a big need for, for more water in Austin. So this is going to be good for the UT community. It's going to be good for Longhorn Aquatics. It's going to be good for kind of hosting tournaments there because I would like to think that there's reason that a lot of the tournaments that are hosted at UT can't start till 12 o'clock because the swim teams have to practice that morning. Yeah. That's so, right. now the, so now the swim teams can go outside and go practice, and then maybe the water polo tournament can start earlier. Yeah. So, you know that- – that's what I heard unofficially was that the they were going to try to keep water polo inside and that the you know swim team would be the ones that use the outdoor facility. Um, but again, I, I'm speculating a bit. It's all a bit of a hearsay, but uh, that's that's what I've heard anyway. Um, all right, anything else before we move on? We got some more interviews coming that are pretty big. I'm excited to hear what you're uh, going to be talking about with okay. Max Irving. And Matt Farmer. I mean, it's those are two UCLA grads, and they were in Texas. It's always kind of curious to 
kind of hear what other people think about, you know, our state after coming from, uh, from, yeah, from either California or the East coast or what have you. Yeah. They, they were up here for that camp that, uh, Thunder and Pegasus were hosting and, uh, and we spoke with Adam Wright already and Merrill Moses, his, uh, full interview is coming out probably tomorrow. Um, but we all, I had a chance to speak with Maxwell Irving and Matthew Farmer who are both vying for spots on the, on the national team for the Olympics. Again, all Hopefully that's going to take place. Um, two interesting stories. Matt Farmer, I've known or I've uh, talked with years ago. He's uh, he will possibly be the first person from Illinois on the national team at the at the Olympics. In do you even remember when? What was it? The Chicago Athletic Club was yeah. was the U.S. national team at the Olympics. You, you yeah, know what was, I'm talking it, about? Yeah, it was Frank Connor. Was it Frank? It was Frank Connor of the Connor Texan. Club. Of, yep. of the Connor Cup fame, yeah. He was on there, and he was their goalie. So which year, like, or even just era, was that in the early 50s, late, something like that? Like the 40s, 50s in that time frame. I don't know the exact year. Okay. He, he ta- you know, he loves to talk. I remember speaking with him a lot about uh, Illinois and its history with U- the U.S. national team, but Matt Farmer would be the first person from the state if he makes the team in that long, you know, since the mm-hmm. 40s or 50s. Um, and Max Irving is a, he's a fellow Long Beach guy. Um, he went to the same high school I went to. Um, and he's, um, he's, has been to me, one of the more surprising, uh, I don't know, success stories for the national team in the last couple of years since the last Olympics. I think he's, uh, I think he moves about as well as anybody in the water in the entire country. Um, and he's also become involved in diversity and so on. Um, and, and we get into that a little bit. So anyway, we will come back with those conversations with Max Irving and Matt Farmer next. All of TX Water Polo is brought to you advertising free, and we'd like to keep it that way. So we're asking for your help. Show your support by going to txwaterpolo.com forward slash give so we can keep covering the sport we love in the Lone Star State. Hi, this is Brenda Villa, four-time Olympic medalist, and whenever I want to hear about Texas water polo, I tune in to the TX Water Polo Podcast. All right, I'm here with Maxwell Irving, who is an Olympic hopeful, but also a two-time UCLA national champion uh, um, and and a graduate of the finest high school water polo program in the history of the world, which is Long Beach Wilson. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Scope Bruins. Um, so uh, you're in Texas, what are you doing here? Yeah, we're here with the uh, Tony Azevedo water polo camp. We're working, uh, Matt Farmer and I, we're working with the high school age kids here in Texas. So I mean, it's a really great opportunity to be able to give back to the sport and try to teach some of the things that we were um, so fortunate to learn from our coaches. Right. Um, I don't know if you've had the chance to be in Texas before. Uh, is this your first trip? Yep, it's my first time in Texas. What do you think so far? I mean, you've only been uh, here for basically 24 hours. Yeah, I've been hours. here for about 24 hours, but so far I really like it. Yeah. I mean, uh, like just being pretty close to the university, SMU. SMU is a beautiful university. Yeah. We're taking a drive through just like the, I don't know, it might be University Park or just like the area around here. Awesome houses. And then yeah. the, the weather's been... Hasn't been too hot, so <laughs> well, we've been staying inside and being able to keep it 
Well, I just got done speaking with Matt Farmer, a guy from Chicago, and you, we all went to lunch a little bit earlier, and he's standing in the sun, and he just says, it's hot. And I said, yeah, it's Texas, yeah. man. That's the way it goes. Yeah. Um, uh, barbecue for dinner last night? Is that yeah. my understanding? Okay. You have to do that. You have I to get a little bit of the brisket. By the way, oh, is that your preference? Because yeah, that's, that's the correct answer. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, you didn't choose a poor area to travel around. This is one of the most affluent areas in all of Dallas. So, yeah, you made, your, made some good choices. All right. Um, uh, so I, I'm going to ask you, I, I think, something that I asked Matt as well, which is you are hopeful to make the, we're going to still call it the 2020 Olympic team, but obviously things got postponed. Is there, can you explain basically how that has changed your own life, really, but about your training agenda, about um, even dealing with it emotionally, knowing that it's not going to happen this summer, that it, and it's still somewhat tentative for next year? Yeah, so it's for sure uh, disappointing, obviously, because like we would be at the Olympics now. The, the group that would be selected would have been would have been at the Olympics now. So it's disappointing that to think that you could have been the Olympics now. But I mean, at the same time, we're now as Team USA, we're given an opportunity if we look at it this way to maybe have another year to go play and continue to get game experience, high level competition, right. playing professionally. So, I mean, I think we're all hopeful that this year will be beneficial towards us and we're going to try to make this year really work for us. And what are your plans for the forthcoming year? You, you're ask, looking for places to go train, right? Yeah. So we were just training previously at the Irvine World Center mm -hmm. from 730 to 930. So that was really great. It was our first time getting in the water in a little while. So it was awesome to jump in with the team, our coaching staff and our um, training staff. They've been working really hard very diligently, especially John Abdu, Coach Day on Udovich, with uh, trying to get us in the water. Yeah. So, I mean, it was awesome that we were able to do that, but my plans are to go actually overseas and play professionally. So, okay. I'll be heading to Greece at the end of this month. Okay, tell us a little bit about that. Matt did the same thing, and yeah. you're, you're, we're here with two other coaches who have played professionally overseas before. Um, how does that happen? Is it basically that the clubs come looking for you because they know that you're you know, you've had success yeah. on the national team level. Did you reach out to them? What, what, how's that work? Um, well, it's kind of, it's interesting how you initially get into the kind of professional scene because you kind of have to have a connection like through Adam. Adam played professionally over there. So he knew coaches who were playing with him. So he had his contacts in Italy. So that's where I first played professionally in Italy. I played half a season at Posilipo and then that was just an awesome experience. Because I was just able to really just be exposed to the professional game and how different it actually really is from college when you have guys who are like it is their livelihood and it is their profession and so they're making their money so it's like it's very intense and it's a uh, professional is what you could say so I mean a great experience there but yeah so like I was saying you kind of need to have some sort of entryway in just maybe kind of either knowing the club or knowing someone who knows the club but then from there usually how you're going to get like to go on these teams is from other teams seeing you play right. within the league or maybe from outside a league if you were to play Champions League if you have that opportunity. Okay, and then what's the club in Greece? The club in Greece is Olympiacos. It is Olympiacos. Yes, okay, previous, so that's, yeah. Right. One of the most well-known teams actually in the world, yeah. really. And this will be my first year with them. I was two years with this team, Idrikos. Yeah, okay. Um, you mentioned the difference, right? You played at a USA collegiate level, which is obviously impressive, but then you go off to Europe and play um, any level of professional water polo, and you just mentioned that it's different. Is there even a way that you can help explain to people who maybe played in high school, maybe played in college, 
what that change looks like. And yeah. you mentioned it's professional, but maybe there's something tactical or technical or emotional or something. Okay, well, when you think of just going to a higher level, you think of speed of the game immediately. You think of knowledge of the game, guys who have been playing at that professional level for maybe five, six years, guys who have been playing at the Olympic level, who've gone to two-time Olympians, you're playing with these guys, so guys who read the game very fast, the game is moving really quickly, guys who are bigger, stronger, and then just there's a lot of pride, especially like when you're playing with, with this team for like eight months, you have a lot of pride in every game, and every game really matters, and this is how you're making your money, so... Like I said, like there's a there's sort of a professionalism surrounded with it. And that's what I think is like the big difference. It's interesting you mentioned pride because one could think that as part of a professional team, it's a little bit mercenary, right? The players go from one club to another, but you you generally established a bit of pride over the, the course of eight months. Yeah, and absolutely. And I think, especially with professionally, it, it's also individual pride. You have pride in yourself and at the high end, higher levels and playing professionally, it can break down to a lot of one-on-one. So it's like you versus your defender, can you do something, you know? So there's a lot of individual pride and then also a lot of team pride that you want to finish well. You've been around Europeans a long, you know, pretty good amount of time now, and uh, so I have as well. And they often have preconceptions about American players. So number one is, uh, and you tell me if you've heard differently, but one one is that that because American players come up through the collegiate system, they're softer. Like they just simply don't have that drive that you do when you come up through the European system. Did you face any of those kinds of things as you went overseas to play the first time? Yeah, I, I think so for sure. I mean, they just have like a preconceived notation of what college water polo is I mean they see the scores they see all the scoring like they don't think that we play defense that much in NCAA just a bunch of goals like it's for the fans like they just see all the celebrations and everything so they think like our highest level American water polo they don't think it necessarily compares so I mean there's just a there's a little bit of that so they kind of have that implicit bias but um I think once you go over there and you can kind of show that you can play and that you can play at a high level, that's why I think like after you go your first year, the second and third year, a little bit down the road, it's a lot. You will have other probably better opportunities. Was there a point during your first season overseas that you realized they now trust me? Like they, I've, I've proven myself to them. Uh, yeah, for sure. I think in Italy it was a different situation because I was coming halfway through the season because um, I played 2017, we won the national championship in December, yeah. and then spent uh, a little bit of time with the women's team as the volunteer assistant coach with Adam, and then Chancellor, who was playing with Cien Posilipo at the time, he reached out to me and said, hey, what do you think about actually coming to play? So like, oh, he was your entree. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, so I was like, yeah, I'll definitely think about it, talked about it with Adam a bit, and it seemed like it would be a great opportunity. So, How's your Italian? Not so great. <laughs> now <laughs> once, gonna... I, once I started to like learning Greek, it's it's now Greek. Have you started doing yeah, that? Yeah, a little bit. I, that's so great. How do you do that? I'm I'm curious. I mean, I haven't been the best with studying, <laughs> but I'm around it a lot, so I pick up on a ton of stuff. Okay, and, like I can pretty much understand like the majority of you things. can that's yeah. pretty impressive because that's yeah. an interesting language to try to pick up yeah. right although a lot of Americans have gone to play in Greece so yep. there's a lot of a lot of connection there let's uh let's talk about something else um, obviously things are quite different in not only the water polo community but everywhere everywhere and you have become at least known somewhat for being part of what is now called the Alliance for Diversity and Equity in Water Polo yep. 
what role do you see yourself playing in that? And actually, maybe you could even talk a little bit about what is what is that organization? Is it just a is it sort of a, a awareness raising one? It does are there actions that they're looking to make? Absolutely. So I'll just start with this. The Alliance right now, we're in the very early stages of what this um, organization hopefully will be. But ultimately, we just want to create a network and sort of a support system with just resources and, um, yeah, with just resources. So players who are of this outside of the majority. So players who are like non-white players feel like they can be accepted and maybe that the environment that they're playing in is more accepting and is is more inclusive for them. So just trying to have resources to help, help players feel accepted within a community where they might feel that they're even further the minority than they might typically be in. Okay. In lives, so. um, and, and maybe you could talk a little bit about your own experience. Obviously, you came through some of the most competitive American water polo that yeah. there is. And I had a conversation with Zane Bellow, who played at USC. He's a, a, originally from Houston. And he actually revealed that he had some experiences, even at Stanford, that he was a little surprised by. So maybe, if you care to, maybe you want to talk a little bit about those kinds of episodes that might not have been the, yeah, the I mean, best. Yeah, I, I think, like, if you talk to players who are like non-white I mean you typically have like some sort of these like instances usually it's just by people who are just like stupid people or like you know just uncomfortable like just usually to manifest itself typically in the form of like jokes you know just like a little bit like just uncomfortable like situations or like instances of ignorance you know guys like don't necessarily you know come or coming from a bad place but just like understanding that like some of those things like can make others feel uncomfortable and so it's important to like address and that's why we think education is a really big piece with the alliance just educating not only like the people who we want to have resources for but the greater majority that's like some what it looks like to be more inclusive right. and have a more diverse at least like mentally and uh, demographically a water polo community yeah that's interesting that you mentioned demographics because it's come up more than once and there's been lots of conversations on this issue over the last month and a half two months um, and, and how it's also at least according to some people socioeconomic so that it's 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 making sure that not just athletes but that communities that really want to have a successful program yeah. are given the resources yeah and that's another part of the alliance that we're working on doing currently like filing for nonprofit status Omar okay. and Janiker and Abdu are working really hard on that and Abdu is also part of this new USA water polo task force with Brenda Bia yes. Brenda Bia is also someone who's for, who's in the alliance with us Ashley Johnson so we're working on a lot of stuff and like one of those things is trying to um, combat the issues of accessibility you know and just having the resources because with water polo how it is now it's kind of been uh, very private privatized you know with water polo with the club system how you pretty much have to go through that and then just to even have access to be able to play water polo yeah it kind of breaks down socioeconomically so just being able to maybe help provide some sort of assistance there and right. well I spoke to Brenda via uh, a month and a half ago mm -hmm. maybe a month ago about some of the similar stuff and she said and I and I did ask her specifically um, because she was the one who mentioned role models and I said well you know that you're a role model are you comfortable with that position is it something that you think is important so let me ask you the same thing yeah I mean absolutely I think it's an honor if you want to, if I am able to represent a community and am I able to represent a community well and if there's kids who see me and are inspired to play the game then I love that and I'm and I think it's an absolute honor and I'm and I try to do everything in my power to represent and um, uphold that with 
Have you had those experiences? Have you people yeah, contacted absolutely. you to say, look, I mean, like uh, 20, I think, I don't know, JOs, I was 2018, I think I was playing with Newport, we was going to Palo Alto. We ended up taking third place, but I was just, um, several families, like black families came up to me and just said, hey, thanks so much. Oh, like, cool. Like, you, yeah. we really love what you do. Like, our kids, like, really look up to you. And I'm just like, oh, thanks. Like, just like an 18 and under, just like playing JOs, just focusing on winning the next game and trying to score a few goals, right. you know? So, but, so, I mean, those were like smaller instances I've had in the past. And then you just start to see, like, how much the representation really matters and how much of an effect you can have by just simply being a good role model and maybe inspiring one kid because that's what ultimately that's what it's all about just being able to provide support for one kid like uh, I will be happy personally well I'd I'd imagine that um, you know you were quite a bit younger in term you know you're just younger when you're that age 18 and under maybe it didn't even sort of register with you until someone actually said to you just straight up you know hey look we really look up to you and my kids look up to you and so on for sure I mean I guess you think about it but you don't necessarily know the scale at which you're I mean you're we're playing water polo here. It's not like I'm playing basketball or football or any money-making sport. So uh, too bad you chose the wrong sport, buddy. Yeah, yeah. I've had some pretty good opportunities and got to meet some. I'd love great to know people. how. I'm not going to ask you on the record here, but I would love to know how much you and others are getting paid for European clubs. So maybe yeah. maybe I'll ask you that at a different time. <laughs> I have friends who've done who've played overseas before, but I, I, I can't remember they've ever told me just exactly how much they got paid. So, <laughs> very curious. Um, Maybe quickly we can go back again because your story coming up through UCLA was an interesting one, and there's been pieces written about you about this where, uh, you know, you can correct me if I'm uh, characterizing this incorrectly, but you redshirted your you redshirted your first season. The second season, you really didn't get any playing time, and I think there's a point at which you sort of realized if I'm going to be successful, something's going to change with yeah. me. So maybe you could talk a little bit about how you came from a position where you you maybe even felt like you weren't going to be on part, uh, on the team mm-hmm. to now you are in in the play and yeah. becoming a national team well member. for sure 2014 um i was on the travel roster for the majority of that year but then like as you have to cut rosters for ncaa's and mpsf tournaments and then the final mpsf games like the rosters just continue to get smaller and smaller and i ultimately wasn't on like the final 16 right there in 14. So then uh, going into the summer of 15, Adam was definitely a catalyst in this of my growth for sure because Adam saw that I could be a great player and just really held me to a standard and held me like pretty accountable for like where I could go. So yeah, like, like you said, I mean, I just, um, I tried to like change my approach to everything, you know, right. change your approach to the way that you're training every day. Just try to think about everything really critically and just being meaningful and do, with all of your actions. The pandemic has allowed me and a lot of other people to, to watch a lot of old, I say old, videos of uh, team, you know, your games in 2018 in Berlin and so on and so forth. Yeah. And I will, ha- I have to say that from a technical perspective, what I observe in you is you may cover water better than any other American. Is that is is that a I point? appreciate that. Okay. Is that thank a point you? Okay. <laughs> so you. Okay, well then you sort of answered my question because I would not say I'm the best, but I mean I, I, I try to. That's something you focus on. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, for sure. Because and and why? Like, I guess here's what I mean: is um, those of us who coach, who play, we, you understand? Like you want to be as efficient as possible, but you could just as easily say, all I'm going to focus on is becoming the best shooter in yeah. the whole world. But yeah. this is something else. Well, I think that it's going to translate. So I think the legs are like the most important part of the game. 
because the legs can give you stability, the legs can help you move um, quickly from horizontally to vertically. Legs are going to help with passing, shooting, legs are going to help with defense, so I think legs are really important, so I, I mean, I've always just tried to really make the most out of all my movements. And, but I, w I would say I move well, but I don't know about the best in the U.S. I mean, we have some guys who are moving crazy. Johnny like Cooper. Johnny Cooper okay. is a very explosive guy. Yeah. Cupido is very good. I mean, Halleck in the middle. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, you don't think about Halleck because he does play in the in the middle of things that he just can just take up water so much. Yeah. And, you know, Hooper is somebody that when you observe, you just think he's jumping out of the water. But exactly. I mean, for you, it's more horizontal. Like, that's the, that yeah. you're able to attack shooters and so on in a way that makes it just look like you're skating on the water. Anyway, um, one sort of finalish question. Okay. Uh, Long Beach Wilson, yep. modern day. Yep. Halftime tied for the CIF championship is Maybe that down one my senior year but one? yeah it's tied or we're down one you uh, you're going to disagree with this because mm -hmm. you, you're, you have a very strong team but there are two of you who went on to play at a fairly high level Kimball yeah. and yourself um, and you're up against a team that I have said um, in writing on Total Water Polo in the past is probably the best team I've ever seen Boys high school water polo team. That's right, for sure. Um, which you went to Wilson, but you went to Wilson. It hurts me to say that. It hurts me. I try to be objective. I try to be Okay, so but that's a, okay. This is a good question. Sage right. So Swanson. those teams, other you know, when they're the this, we just got finished with doing this in the state of Texas. Mm -hmm. Like, which were the best single boys and girls high school teams of all time, and which are the best programs? So that means over a period of time, right? Yeah. So the question is, is even to me is super fun in California about what is the best program in the state of California for boys water polo over the entire history since the 1950s? Newport. Okay. You're, You're going to say I'm Wilson. I'm going to say Long Beach Wilson for <laughs> sure. But I think when you think about all the Olympians who came out yeah. of Wilson, and then, uh, I mean, Tony Espeda was one of the greatest water polo players, American water polo players of all time. Long Beach Wilson out of another great. And then just all the CIF championships that start like 95 and even before 80, then. Yes. Oh, young man. 81. Yes. 81 was the first one. That so was just before I started. 81 through all the way through 2012. That's when right. We got ours, 2011 and D2. But I mean, it's, very, it's different. But I think now it's a little bit different with private schools. Yeah. I mean, just in terms of like who you're pulling from and just kind of you're not recruiting, but like you can have guys who are friends who are playing in the same club go to the same high school you can kind of stack things a little bit well, essentially in your favor but hey Wilson was doing the same thing it was just was it because my recollection is when at modern day at its height so first of all you get a player like Thomas Dunson to yeah. move from Connecticut to go play there. He's a very quality player. Yeah, very and then you have uh, somebody who's doing very well at another program that you could argue is one of the greatest, Newport Harbor, and he decides to transfer to modern day. So um, that debate is something that back in the day, um, there's an actual sports writer from the LA Times named Eric Sondheimer who was very focused on the public-private, um, I guess, what do you call it, competition, but really for... CIF football teams and it didn't really affect water polo teams but it seems to me that has changed is that your perception as well uh, I think a little bit but I don't know at the same time as when you're just a kid like growing up and you want to play like you want to be in the best place possible 
to hopefully try to continue to get better and grow, be coached by great coaches. Do you ever feel, do you ever feel lucky? Because Long Beach is one of the hubs of water polo in the whole country. Yeah. And it's total, you know, happenstance that you and I both grew up in that place. Yeah. That, you know, just complete luck. Do you ever think about that? Yeah, I think Long Beach has um, very rich aquatic tradition and I'm very fortunate to have grown up in a place and a community that really like encourages players to play water polo. It's always really cool to play water polo. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, have great coaches and then have great role models to look up to. I know when I was at Long Beach Shore, I always wanted to try to win a CIF and that was a big, big deal for me. I wanted to be like the high school guys. Then I was in high school, I wanted to be like the high school guys who are at Wilson, but then went on to play in college, like Sage Warren, Swanson, um, Jacob McIntosh went to Cal. And so like those were the kind of guys. So, I mean, just to be able to have um, that kind of legacy and that kind of rich aquatic tradition, I think is something that's unique to Long Beach and I definitely, definitely beneficial to me. Uh, Maxwell Irving, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, thank you for having me. Hi, this is Natalie Benson, and you are listening to a podcast about water polo in Texas. We're with uh, Matt Farmer, um, two-time Illinois Player of the Year, UCLA graduate also, and uh, hopeful Olympian, yes? So let's start with that. Um, the, obviously, the games have been delayed, and uh, and you're obviously affected by that. What can you tell us a little about how that process has changed since the delay has taken place? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, it's changing day to day. Still, uh, initially, we had a plan that maybe it was better we'd all stay back in the states um, so we could train together the whole year, and then it became apparent that uh, it was going to be hard to find a facility that we could train at consistently together. Um, and, and to deal with housing and what the budget would look like. So um, we're going to approach it um, similar to how we did last year. Most of us are going to go abroad, play another professional season. Yeah. Any opportunity to get good um, high-level games and get into a rhythm of playing is what our coach thinks is going to be the most important thing moving forward for us. Um, and we're going to try to do common trainings or U.S. trainings whenever we, we can. Okay. But it's, it's constantly changing. So you and I just came from a delicious pizza lunch and uh, was revealed that you're going to go play for Olympiacos in Greece. No, no, Max is going to play for Olympiacos. My mistake. All right, right. We can, we can, uh, I'm going to Greece as well, though. I'm going to J- GS Peristeri. There you go. Okay. Yeah. And, and then how does that take place? Like, how does that happen? You know that, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to train so much in the United States. Are you actively looking for a place to play in Europe? Did they come to you? Do you have an intermediary of some kind? I think it works both ways. There's some teams that I reach out to first. This particular team reached out to me. Um, I think once you have played a season professionally, you'll get a couple other offers and stuff, but you definitely have to be proactive about getting your name out there in water polo because they're, you know, the European leagues, um, they might know who we are, but not sure if we're wanting to play and stuff. So it's the same as coming from any state other than California to go play school right. in California. You have to be really proactive about the process. Okay, so you played for Ortigia, which is a team in Syracuse. Uh, That's correct. In, close to Syracuse in Sicily. Yeah, in it, Syracuse. In Syracuse. It is in Syracuse, okay. Yeah. So, uh, and, and how many years were you there? Just one year, yeah. And so from that, you're able to basically, it's almost like you're establishing a resume of some kind. Like you can then go to teams in Greece or wherever and yeah. say, look, I've had this under my belt. I'm accustomed to playing in Europe and so on. Mm-hmm. That's, that's generally how it's working. Yeah. Okay, that's right. Uh, for the sake of, remind people what you know of the process by which an Olympic team is selected. Because obviously there are a bunch of candidates for it. I mean, I'm, 
I think everybody understands that there are probably some that are almost guaranteed and some that may not be, but what does that entire process look like for yeah. somebody like you? So within a four-year cycle, there's different competitions throughout the four years. So there's world championships, there's the Pan American Games, there's plenty of international competitions and certain people are selected for those trips and other people aren't. And then as you move farther along and closer to the Olympics, um, the roster will get smaller and smaller. And right now I think we have close to 23, 24 guys that are all competing for um, 13 spots, spots, right? right. Uh, so um, the, the date that we had, a tentative date we had gotten for the final roster was June 15th before the Olympics got postponed. So we don't know yet. We're still moving forward with the same group that we had. Um, but yeah, it just gets thinner and thinner as things go on. Does the has anybody sort of stopped playing it as a result of, uh, of the this change delay? Yeah, uh, nobody Nothing, currently, no. okay. um, which has been great. We we've got a really good group, and uh, everyone's supportive and still wants to make their best effort to play. Um, yeah, no one no one stopped. Even Jesse Smith, the most forty five years old. Or hey, old yeah, yeah, he's got a <laughs> bunch of kids. So I mean, that's got to be so difficult yeah. for Jesse. I can't imagine having four young kids and trying to. You know, figure all this out logistically, and then where where is your emotion taking place? That's got to be tough. Right, it's difficult for him, but you're a resident of Chicago essentially, uh-huh. so you're having when it comes time for you to train in California, what happens? You pick up and you go sort of move somewhere, or what yeah. Goes? So I, I'm I'm very lucky. When I was at UCLA, I made great friends, and you know, um, those families knew that I didn't have family out there, so they took me in, and really, I've I've just got a bunch of second families, second moms, and I'll, I stay at one, um, my best friend's place when I'm out there, and just right now, it doesn't make a lot of sense either. So the, the team is training currently, but I've stayed in Chicago um, because I didn't want to risk staying with my friend's family, and then, and obviously I didn't know if they'd be comfortable with it and stuff, so usually you stay with a host family, um, but yeah, right now it's difficult. Um, speaking of Chicago, um, are you... Are you aware of how long it's been since there's been a person from Illinois on an American in, uh, Olympic team? Do you have any sense of that? I think it's, is it zero? Whatever. Well, maybe there was one a long time ago. This is not a leading question. I actually don't know the answer to that, but my suspicion is it's been since the, um, early in the 20th century when the teams were comprised of clubs. So the, uh, from my understanding, the Chicago Athletic Club Association, sent a team yeah, one yeah. Right, is that right? Okay, so I, that's my research to do. But, but you, you have a sense of the history, I'm sure. Yeah, a bit. I think the, the sport came over and started in Chicago, actually, in 1902 or something from, from England. They actually won the first Olympic Games, right. um, the UK uh, or England, whatever it was. Um, uh, yeah, so it, it is, it's been definitely a long, long time, if there's been anyone from the Chicago area that's been... Uh, and Olympian in water polo. Here's a here's a parenthetical question. So back in uh, when I was attending NCAA championships in the '80s, in particular, mm-hmm. one of the regular participants was Loyola of Chicago. Yeah, yeah. So, it, it, did you have a sense for the fact that they did have a competitive NCAA team, even though it was before your time? And what do you think the chances are of something like that actually happening again? And by the way, let's just say in this that the pandemic wasn't taking place because sure. that changes everything. Yeah, we does. understand that. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, growing up, I didn't know that there was college water polo until I was in eighth grade oh, high okay. school. I didn't know there was professional water polo until I was 
in college, late high school. Um, so that kind of knowledge, I, I think, is pretty widespread in Chicago. Guaranteed, most of the kids now did don't know that there was a program at Loyola, and I didn't know that. Maybe I'd heard it mentioned in passing. I believe there was a, a guy who played at um, Loyola named Mark Menace. Um, or he, his Mark Menace Sr., there's Mark Menace Jr., who's closer to my age, but played at Loyola. And uh, that's probably the most I heard of that program. Okay. And, uh, you know, I would love something like that to happen in Chicago. I think it would be amazing for the sport. I think there's a lot of kids that we would love to learn really how water polo is played uh, in the Chicago area. I, not, not in the immediate future, but um, down the road, if things go our way, if um, we get more support in the, in the area for water polo, I think that it, it's very possible. Well, Augustana is starting a program. How right. far is that from where you grew up? I don't know. I, I couldn't tell you. But it's in the state of Illinois. Yeah, it's in Illinois, which is a big state. It tells you something, right? Yeah, so right. it's a, and because and maybe what a lot of people, especially Texas water polo fans, may not know is that water polo is a robust sport on the high school level in Illinois, but it's really Chicago. Yes. And there's maybe a couple outliers, right? That may head up like where Northwestern is and elsewhere, right? Uh-huh, but that's, yeah. That's about it. Right? The North Side schools are probably about as far as it gets away okay. from the Chicago area, but yeah, just widespread around Chicago. I think it's similar that the same way it works in you know in Europe as well maybe not in eastern europe but in spain all the coach, all the um, teams are in yeah, barcelona, barcelona. Yeah. right so okay um, you're here in texas uh, what when did when did you know that you were going to be taking part in this and actually let's just back up you're here in texas why what are you doing here yeah so uh, <laughs> we're running a tony acevedo clinic um, adam Wright, my coach at ucla who i was with for four and a half years i respect and like a, a ton, he's a, he's a really important person in my life, asked me if I'd like to do this um, this clinic with them, he and Merrill Moses, and then Max Irving, my teammate, UCLA teammate, uh, national te- junior national team teammate, someone I've been with for a long time, and I've been you know, in Chicago for a long time. It was easy for me, I, I love coaching water polo, and that was one of the reasons I said yes, but it was. I'm also very happy I'm here to be able to hang out with Adam and, and Max and be able to talk to them about what what, what we're doing moving forward and get their opinions on stuff. All the people that you mentioned are from California right. originally. Does the fact that you're from Illinois make coming to a place like Texas that's not California a little different? I mean, you, you sort of, you recognize maybe a little bit more that there are areas that are looking for attention that, you know, Californians might be taking for granted even. Definitely, definitely. So, um, yeah, it just, it just, you feel that connection, even though Texas and it, Illinois are completely different. Yeah. Um, just being outside of California at all is something special that we share. And um, I want to be able to help give my expertise, my, my experiences to anyone who, who wants to follow a similar route. Right. Um, and I think there's a lot of talent and there's a lot of passion for the sport. Um, what just lacks is, is kind of a general knowledge about it. And I've, I've been seeing it. It's been a blessing that I've been in Chicago the last couple months because I've been coaching there as well. And there's a lot of just great kids that I've been coaching that, that you know, just need um, some more proper instruction. And, um, and, I mean, you guys have impressed me so far down here in Texas. Where have you been coaching in uh, Illinois? Uh, I've been coaching uh, for Lions mm. uh, Swim Club. So the, the club that I started out playing at when I was eight years old, Got nine it. years old. Um, the coach asked me if I wanted to do some sessions, and obviously I was more than happy. Uh, and then a, a couple other coaches reached out 
once that's the ball started rolling. So it's been awesome. So you and I talked actually in St. Louis six years ago, maybe when Fenwick was playing in a tournament in, in a, at the St. Peter's Slo- yeah, like, at the yeah the Recplex, that Recplex, the, um, yeah. And um, we, we talked a little bit about um, what you were, you know, you were you had been admitted to UCLA. You knew where you were going to go there. Uh-huh. Is there any way that you can convey exactly how much you have learned since leaving Fenwick and to the point where you are now? Because oh it's it's a, you have very wide experience. You're a two-time or three-time NCAA three championship, right? Yeah. So, so is there any even way that you can think about that and express just how different things are now for you than they were? I bet Adam could express it more than I could. I mean. Going into UCLA from Chicago because you're a big fish in a small pond when I was out in Chicago and um, you know everything was fine. But I really got through high school and was successful because of my talent. And when I got to UCLA, it was you know I was a dime a dozen, and it really had to turn turn myself into understanding the game, into pushing my body and my mind harder than I I could have ever imagined. And I, I think as a person, I changed a lot because it required that to be a student athlete at UCLA to, to change and really commit um, to what to what we were trying to do. Um, as far as knowledge of water polo, the difference between my senior year in high school and now it's, I mean, I couldn't even describe. It's so exponential what I understand about water polo now versus before. Well, maybe the, we can talk about it in these terms. Was there a time that you're in the pool at UCLA and you're thinking something along the lines of, I have no idea what we're doing, or this is so completely new for me. Like it's almost jarring that you're you're in the pool and you think you know, you know a lot of stuff about water polo. You have obviously had great success, but you suddenly realize, wow, this is where I really need to to, to learn something new. Uh, yeah, I think um, five men was a big one uh, when we were in Chicago. Just kind of throwing a hand up was was the way to go you could ghost hand it wait for somebody to shoot and throw up a hand and get a block but right the, the scheme that you need to be ready for i think just i think the biggest jump was uh just preparation for each team you know you really scout the other team and you really if you wanted to be successful you had to properly prepare that was something you know in chicago you just jump in and play and i don't maybe i don't even know the name of the kid across the pool for me versus knowing everything about this kid how he shoots tendencies. how he yeah his tendencies um, so what real preparation looks like, that was a big difference. Interesting. Okay. Um, you have one more day in Texas. Are you uh, looking forward to going? Are you going back to Chicago? Or are you going back, going back to, to Chicago before I go to Greece. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, Matt Farmer, thank you very much. Yeah, for thank you for having me. That was great. Those were my conversations with uh, UCLA graduates Maxwell Irving and Matt Farmer. And um, we will have those uh, – well, we'll have uh, Meryl Moses's interview in full in the next couple days at least but uh other than that we're done right joe i mean i don't know if there's anything else we want to cover before we get not just good luck to everybody that's out there going back to school teachers students um you know yeah just people are going back to practices either at home or in person no just kind of yeah just kind of good luck out there and be safe yeah okay well thanks again to you joe thanks to uh, our guests for speaking with me last week and taking time to talk with us. Thank you, of course, for listening, for telling a friend about the TX Water Polo podcast. And uh, we have to always make mention of our fabulous gifters. They're called donors on my sheet, but they're, you know, we're not a, pri- a, a, a nonprofit, so I can't call them donors. Or I shouldn't call them donors. They're people who are giving us gifts, which is very, very nice. Um, and if you do want to contribute, then go to TXWaterPolo.com forward slash give. 
Uh, but until next week, so long from Austin. Yeah, take care. of TWP Sports, LLC.